Welcome to the Washington Union Alliance Church Podcast, an archive of our recorded sermons. We're a Christian and Missionary Alliance Church located in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. For more information, go to wuac.org. What if you went just beyond quietly forgiving those who wronged you, betrayed you, or caused you pain? What if you cooked a feast for them and then demonstrated them mercy and love, whether that was done secretly or directly? What might happen to our relationships if we knew who our enemies were and then we cooked a feast for them? (laughs) Such questions are very hard questions because it causes us to come to grips with the brutal honesty of relationship life. And today, as part of the Joseph story, comes to grips with what perhaps many of us have dealt with or are dealing with currently right now, what do you do when somebody's wronged you and you still feel pain from it? If you have a copy of the scriptures today, we are in Genesis 43, and it's on page 33 of the Bible in front of you, and it's also on the screen behind me. But we are talking about Joseph, and we have gone through the story of Joseph, and the story of Joseph is about a family. And I know for us, families are the closest to us, and oftentimes often are the closest to us, and oftentimes can cause us the most hurt. And oftentimes in family life, or even in just plain old friendship or relationship life, the many people that are closest to us can cause us the most hurt in life. And I'm just trusting God to do a very restorative work in our families, and I'm praying that God would begin to show himself and to weave a plan of redemption in our families and our friends and our relationships, and that God would show himself in the midst of this story through the verses and the lines, and that the real stuff of the Bible would start to become even real to you in your own story. And I know it for a fact Um, because I'm also in a family. I know they can cause hurt, and I know they can cause pain, and I know they can cause some deep amounts of frustration. And so I just want us to know that there's a real God who is working in your life and on your behalf to bring about his full plan and purpose and redemption in this period of time as well. And so just a, um, a kind of a big picture up to this point. Um, and so it's, uh, I would encourage you to read through it if you can, because the story of Joseph takes a lot of details and twists and turns in it. And if you've been with us, you know how some of these twists and turns go and, and, and sort of how this story progresses, so to speak. Um, but Joseph is is one of 12 brothers, and he's a big family, and his father overtly loved Joseph more than the others, and we learned last week that there was also another special love for Benjamin, just loved them both a little bit more than the others, and so jealousy and envy riddled this family, and then all of the things kind of spiral out of control from there, and his brothers don't like the fact that Joseph has had these dreams, and he's the father's favorite, and he finds himself, um, he finds him very quickly, finds himself in the story of Joseph finds himself in a pit and stained, and his brothers are plotting to, uh, to cover up a, his murder to his father because they don't like the fact that he's having dreams and he's the family favorite. And so while the brothers are at the dinner table having their meal, he is sold to some merchants into Egypt. Um, and so sort of the kind of the main point of the what I just want you to kind of in the back of our heads today just the main point of that is that Joseph's life takes a very dramatic turn because of his brothers. And it was because of his brothers that a lot of this hurt happened. And because he's sold out into Egypt from the land of Canaan, and he goes into Egypt, and his brothers are a part of that plot to get him to Egypt. But yet God was weaving this story 
um, in this plan of redemption. So when Joseph gets to Egypt, he quickly moves up the ranks in the Egyptian court. God was with him throughout all of this, and he moves up the ranks in the Egyptian court. Um, And so when he gets to the Egyptian court, there's a famine that happens in Egypt, and then what happens is that the brothers have to go to Egypt from Canaan to get food. So the only place that's got, apparently, that they have to go to is Egypt. And so they go to Egypt to get food, and that's where, over the span of chapter 37 to about chapter 43, where we are today, is about 20 years. And this is sort of this kind of this reunion that happens with Joseph and his brothers who have wronged him and his father who thinks he's dead. And it, and it causes these brothers to even hesitate to go to Egypt because they will hesitate to go to Egypt because they're remembering what happened 20 years ago. They sold him to some merchants back 20 years ago and they're hesitating to go get food for their families for this famine because in the back of their minds, I imagine that they know that Joseph is there waiting, or at least somewhere in that vicinity. Now, they don't know what happened to him, but then there's this reunion that happened. So you've got brothers, so big picture up to this point, you've got brothers who've turned, returned back, what we talked about last week. The brothers go get food from Egypt, they go back home to Canaan. And the famine then, when they go back home, Joseph had these stipulations on this request. He, he asked the brothers, the brothers don't know that it's Joseph, and Joseph talked to them, could have disguised himself in this point of time, and Joseph asked these, these guys, um, his, his brothers, to go back and to grab Benjamin and to bring Benjamin back with them. And so just to have this and to have, um, so, to have some sort of semblance that his younger brother was alive and they don't know that. And Jacob, is their father, hesitates about it. He's like, I don't know if I really want to send him back. I just don't know that's really what I want to do. And so it's like, it's this whole, it's this whole drama. It's this whole story. And it's been made into movies. Um, and it's been made into draw, quite a bit of dramas as well over the years. So the story of Joseph. Um, and so after the period of 20 years later, that their previous sin was this sort of kind of all these are points of kind of like the points in the story. It's not exhaustive, but just some points to help us think about where we are. 20 years later, their previous sin was coming to light in order to make genuine healing and hope possible. God often does this in our lives, where he shines a light toward the sin that we haven't fully dealt with in order to bring about true healing. He'll shine his light on that to bring about true healing. And so, just because maybe the sin that we haven't dealt with or something that we haven't done, we haven't, we haven't fully given to God, we haven't fully asked for his forgiveness from Sometimes that is not forgotten by time. And so their previous sin of this was coming to fruition and coming to the surface. And God was shining a light on that in order to bring about full redemption for this family. You see, no matter how much we sometimes try to claw or to drown out that thing, or it's a circumstance of our past, it never truly seems to go away. And it, sort of, it kept reappearing for their brothers. And if you recall, they sold them to the Ishmaelite uh, merchants that were passing by. Long ago, and uh, I would say I would argue, according to that exchange, that they knew exactly where Joseph was going, and he was going to Egypt. And for those brothers to go back to Egypt to get food, kind of a big gulp. Like, oh boy, we know it's a guilty conscience a little bit. We know where what we've done to our brother. We know this is going to happen. I mean, you're in a famine with no food and starving families, and hesitation on their mind to go back to Egypt. And I just imagine that they would hesitated with this. Even something that happened 20 years ago that they tried to bury kept coming back up. 
They hadn't fully dealt with it yet. Hadn't fully dealt with their past quite yet. And God was still weaving his plan of redemption to bring about restoration to this family. And so when we think about famines, the whole, the whole narrative is predicated on a fam. Most of this, most of this story from, from this point on is predicated on the fact that a famine causes them to go get food. So in our lives, could it be that God causes famines to expose us to a past that we believed we could forget? And if we think about famines, we think about the symbolism behind it, seasons and utter dryness and hunger and thirst. Sometimes those seasons can bring about only true thirst and hunger for God that cannot be experienced otherwise, and maybe in fruitful seasons of our lives. That maybe God does cause famines to bring about a past, to expose us maybe to, to illuminate some things about our journey, our stories that we believe that we could forget. And so being up in the ranks in the Egyptian court, Joseph could have, and his brothers at this particular point in time, Joseph's brothers at this point, they don't know who he is, uh, that Joseph knows who they are, but they don't know who he is. And Joseph at this point could have probably inflicted much punishment on them, um, being in a place of power. He was the second in command at this point. And that guy, put, you know, all those brothers put him through so much prison. T- I mean, just through a prison, a time in a prison, and through so much of, of learning a new culture and language and a place that he never thought he'd be in Egypt as well. And so we find ourselves today at a second reunion. The brothers come back to Egypt for a second time, and this time they bring back the youngest, Benjamin, which is another brother of Joseph. And so we're in verse 15 of Genesis chapter 43. And if you'll go there with me, starting in verse 15. So the men took the gifts and doubled the amount of silver, and Benjamin also. They hurried down to Egypt and presented themselves to Joseph. And at this point in time, they don't know um, that it is Joseph. The Bible's telling us that they presented themselves to Joseph, but the brothers don't know that it's him quite yet. When Joseph saw Benjamin with him, with them, he said to the steward of his, of his house, Take these men to my house, slaughter an animal, and prepare a meal, there to eat with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him and took the men to Joseph's house. Now the men were, what, frightened when they were taken to his house. We, they thought, we were brought here because of the silver that was put back into our sacks the first time. There was, if you remember, if you recall, if you know about the story, that they sent silver in their sacks on their, on their journey home, and that frightened them a bit even on that journey to think that, like, um, here's an unknown person giving us a bunch of silver to put in our sacks to give us on the way home. Um, and so uh, it's, they're frightened about this. He wants to, and they think, he wants to attack us and overpower us and seize us as slaves and take our donkeys. And so they're sort of, they're, they're sort of, they think a little bit, they're sort of trying to think through this a little bit. So they went up to Joseph's steward and spoke to him at the entrance to the house. We beg your pardon, our Lord, they said. We came down here the first time to buy food, but at the place where we stopped for the night, we opened our sacks and each of us found what? His silver, the exact weight in the mouth of his sack. So we have brought it back with us. And we have brought back additional silver with us to buy food. We don't know who put our silver in our sacks. And it says this, it's all right, he said, don't be what? Afraid. Do you like that? Like, don't be afraid. <laughs> your God, the God of your father, has given you treasure in your sacks. I received your silver. And then he brought Simeon out to them. And Simeon was being held 
in custody at that point in time. Joseph had Simeon being held so that Benjamin would be returned. So then he brings Simeon out, which is another one of the brothers. The steward took the men into Joseph's house and gave them water to wash their feet and provided fodder for their donkeys. I guess that was tradition of that day where the stewards would take them, give them water to wash their feet, and provided fodder for them. That was sort of a custom of the day, of those days. And so we don't have um, donkeys, unless anyone came to church this morning riding a donkey. Um, don't think we, we have that tied down here this morning out in the parking lot. Anyway, um, so donkeys. And so this is sort of the custom of that day. They prepared their gifts for Joseph's arrival at noon because they had heard that they were to eat there. I just think like when I read those with the hospitality things, it's like maybe I need to up my game a little bit, 21st century. Every each of you are like, next time I'm at your house, you owe me a gift or you got to wash my feet. And I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, right. Okay, back to the script. Back to the yes. Okay. Um, totally off track. We're going to get back to this, I promise. Okay, so then it's verse, 20, verse 26. They presented him the gifts they had brought to the house, and they bowed down before him to the ground. You remember, like, this was part of some of his dreams that he had way back long ago, that, that his brothers were going to bow down to him. Part of the problem was he told them those dreams, and they didn't like it. But here we are. It's now coming full circle. It's now coming to fruition. And he asked them how they were, and then he said, How is your aged father you told me about? Is he still living? They replied, your servant, our father, is still alive and well. And they bowed down, prostrating themselves before him. And as he looked about and saw his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son, he asked, is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Now, we know that's not as actual, that's not necessarily his son, a term of endearment there to his brother. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to what? Weep. Do you see like the motions of that? A, a reunion of that long, seeing someone. And he went into his private room and wept there. After he washed his face, he came out, controlling himself, said, serve the food. And they served him by himself, the brothers by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with them by themselves, because Egyptians could not eat with Hebrews, for that is a detestable to Egyptians, another little custom thing there uh, in those days. So, and the men had been seated before him in the order of their ages, from the firstborn to the youngest, and they looked at each other in astonishment. It's like, I just find that kind of interesting. You look at each other when you're at the dinner table, you're like, you know, look at each other in, in astonishment. Anyway, the portions were served to them from Joseph's table. Benjamin's portion was five times as much as anyone else's, so they feasted and drank freely with him. When the Iron Curtain was drawn across Europe across World, uh, after World War II, people felt very trapped. And we began, and, and the stories, as the story goes, is that, the, the, that they began hearing incredible stories about people who had escaped the communist stories, who have escaped those regimes, and then were reunited with their families after World War II in the West. Reunited with their families in the West. And occasionally the evening news would flash a poignant picture of that emotional moment when family members saw each other for the very first time after years of forced separation. And always that reunion defiled description. 
defied description, and that picture was worth truly a thousand words. The catching sight of the arms thrown open wide, the running toward one another, the embrace that did not want to let go, the dancing, the screaming, the tears of joy. In, this, in a very similar way, folks who recall the scene at Clark Air Force Base in 1973, 143 brave men stumbled out of an airplane, some bent and some crippled, and all of them returning prisoners of war, now freed from the prisons in North Vietnam. And the highest-ranking soldier on board the first flight was 48-year-old Naval Captain Jeremiah Denton, a prisoner for nearly eight years stood before the microphone and said with a quivering voice, we are honored to have the opportunity to serve our country under difficult circumstances. We are profoundly grateful to our commander-in-chief and to our nation for this day. And after a brief pause, he managed to say, God bless America. And then he and the others who had flown to freedom fell into the arms of their waiting families. Words fail to to capture and to convey those scenes, do they not? I mean, admittedly, when I see videos or pictures of soldiers coming home, it's pretty emotional. It's pretty emotional. It takes on a new meaning for me these days as a parent. And sometimes those scenes are too much to objectively analyze. They're kind of like too sacred to watch. And there stands family members who have lived on memories and spent literally hours in the throes of concern, wondering if they would ever see their loved ones again. And as life goes on, as they were separated, not a day passed by without their hearts returning to one another. And then there they are together again, struggling to put those years of separation into words. Story reminded me of a, of a friend of mine, Morgan and I know of, of uh, dear uh, friends of ours, and uh, who's currently stationed in Virginia, was, is an Alliance military chaplain, and Gabe was on a 184-day deployment and came home and surprised his kids recently. And so I asked Gabe, I said, Gabe, can I use that video um, because of simply how raw the emotions are to it? So if you have a tissue handy... <laughs> You can grab that in front of you. So let's take a watch of this video. Oh, we did. 
I guess you got go I get beat the chain. The, I beat the do you chain. know what you need to do is just get the chain and put it in the trash because Dad's home now. I would take this. Go, go, just toss it in the trash. Yeah, it's it's pretty. I mean, it's it's emotional, right? It's like these scenes of like when we see these people coming home and families coming home and being reunited, it is emotional. Um, and uh, it's, it's an emotional thing. It's hard to put into the emotions of the words of those sorts. Is it not? It's the kind of emotion, uh, it's the kind of emotion I think that's going on in this scene here. And you can see the underpinning of this scene and the Joseph and his brothers and the fact that like what would, what would cause someone to put this scrumptious feast on that we can't even imagine? I mean, uh, this feast had to have been like, that steak we get times five, <laughs> the best steak that we can think times five. This was the best part of the Egyptian courts, the highest kind of food, and yet would want somebody to serve your brothers who have wronged you from so long ago. I mean, these were the same brothers who had thrown him to a pit, the same brothers who sold him to some merchants passing by, convinced their father that he was faked and faked his own death and by placing his robe in blood and kept that secret for nearly 20 years. And yet, and mind you, they don't recognize Joseph at this point, but he recognizes who they are, hasn't revealed himself quite yet. This was a past of nearly 20 years that was continuing to shine itself on those brothers. I mean, what would cause somebody to give a feast, even if that was something that happened in our circle? Somebody wronged us like that. They hadn't fully dealt with their past, even though those brothers are on the points of repentance back to that. They're on the road to repentance, and we can see that from this story. God was working and moving in this family toward genuine repentance toward one another. And it doesn't mean... If this is sort of that sort of your family or friends or what have you, it means that it's not always easy and it doesn't, it means that it's also going to take some time, but they are moving in the right direction and that God wanted them to go throughout all this story. And we've talked about Jacob and Jacob is the father and Jacob didn't want to release one of his favorite sons, Benjamin, and Benjamin and Joseph are from his, again, favoritism and envy and jealousy, that's all underpins this family. And from his favorite wife, Rachel, and Joseph's the one, and Joseph's told the brothers on their first trip that, he had, that they had to bring Benjamin back <coughs> excuse me, with them. And Jacob didn't want to let his son go, didn't want to let Benjamin go on this journey. And so underpinning this is the reality that Jacob loved two of these kids more than all the other kids and loved Benjamin just a little bit more, too. Imagine with me, just this makes me think about this juncture. For all those other brothers there, I wonder how those other sons felt knowing that they were second class, how they must have felt. Here we find in this story, no mention, we don't find a mention about Simeon, the one who had been placed in jail, and his plight isn't asked about or mentioned. It's only Benjamin from his father. Have you ever felt like, if you're a sibling, Ever felt like your parents liked one of your siblings more than you? <laughs> we can all raise our hand if we're a sibling about that because we're human beings. We at one point or another probably thought our parents liked one of our siblings more than we did. Well, in Jacob's case with Joseph and Benjamin, it was not up for debate whom he loved the most. Inadequacy was a message that Jacob hung over the life of his sons. And the brothers' poor decisions allowed fear and humiliation and guilt and tension to hang over their own lives. I can only imagine being in the shoes of those ten sons, thinking things like, 
Maybe they're just damaged goods or disposable. Only the favored sons really truly mattered to Jacob. Living day to day, knowing, feeling inadequate, and feeling deep levels of inadequacy on a very deep level. I can imagine that would be a very painful world to live in. And church, we have the choice to live into these types of relationships. We have the relationships. We have the choice to live into these, into the truth of our relationships on a daily basis, whether it be our kids, our friends, our families, our coworkers. We have the choice. And we can see in Jacob's life a life of favoritism and shame that gets played out in the, in the pages of this story. We see in Jacob's sons a life of guilt and secrets that go on for a period of 20 years. In the Psalm 32, David says this, it writes this about the sin, about what sin can do, the brutal honesty about what sin can do even in our own lives. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away though my groaning all, through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and you did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. You notice those language there. His bones were wasting away because of sin. He hasn't, he hasn't fully dealt with his sin yet. And so he knows that that is what sin can do to us, can causes us to waste away, waste our bones away. And it's, that's why the first two, two verses say this of that, of Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are what? Forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and whose spirit is no deceit. As author uh, Steve Elliott says, which part of Psalm 32 are you living in? The heaviness of dark secrets cupped up and covered up or the lightness and blessing of experiencing forgiveness of sins? And that's the kind of question that we can only ask for ourselves. But we find in this story a God who is shining a light on this family so that they can all experience the future that God wants for them too. Recently in our home, we've had several of our drain, downstairs drains clogged. And the drains themselves, like the drains themselves weren't actually clogged, but it was the top of those drains got clogged and they were rusted. And several decades of rust on the original top of those drains will do that. In a similar way, these, these brothers had 20 years of rust on them to shake off. And many of us have had those years of rust and buildup in our families, in our relationships, and they may need a completely new top of that drain either new drain holes, freshly drilled drain holes, in order for that water to drain properly through that again. But what would it take, church, for us to start the healing process in our families? What sorts of holes must be drilled in order water to flow and in order for the path to repentance to begin? I'm reminded in the challenge of this story of Joseph in this posture. Here's a guy who could have used his power and influence upon his brothers, and they didn't know who he was in this story. He did not know that. They did not have any. They maybe, maybe Joseph in this story, I could surmise, maybe he didn't, he didn't put, give them grain or food. He maybe he didn't have to do that. Maybe he could have poisoned the meal. You know, years of frustration and with, your, with siblings could have been on his mind at that point. And from their point of view, they're only seeing kindness from a total stranger. And yet, we find Joseph weeping over his brothers. The emotions really come out for him during this. And what I find from this story is a picture of the love and grace and kindness of God that overwhelms this story. 
Joseph is a figure who foreshadows the coming of Jesus. And this passage just oozes the love of God and the grace of God all over it. And you see, it's God trying to spare us from a life shackled by the sin and the pain and all caught up, maybe it's all caught up in our guilt. And it's so often the grace and kindness of God, much like Joseph, that many of us miss. Maybe we miss or neglect this. Joseph did nothing to, Joseph did nothing to show them. He didn't, they didn't deserve kindness. Yet it's all over this account, and Joseph shows them kindness and grace in this account. Jesus tells a story in his ministry, and he tells this story um, about a ministry to illustrate a higher point. And he tells about a man who had two sons, and he called it a parable, and to illustrate, sort of to teach people um, how to live into the kingdom of God and how to live the life that he wants them to live. And he tells this story about a man who had two sons. And the younger son decided that he didn't want to live at home anymore, so he went out and cut off his family and ran away. And he asked his father for his fair share of the the family inheritance, which inevitably meant that he wished his father was dead. And he got his his fair share of the wealth, and then the younger son went crazy, cashed in on the estate, as the Bible says, wild living, and he spent all the money in a foreign land trying to satisfy his every desire. And the younger brother, when the younger brother inevitably ran out of money, and at the time there was a famine on the land, which made things matters worse, and he goes on to find food near some pigs to eat, and they eat some of their, some of their food, which was they were eating better than he was eating. And he's out of money and food and nowhere to go, and he's desperate. So he decides to make the journey home, and the younger brother starts the trek home, and even before he gets in front of his dad, before, the, before he even gets to ring the doorbell, to even to signal that he's home, before he's even reached the doorway, anticipation of maybe we've all been there, maybe in our families and our relationships, we've all been there. Before he's even reached the doorway, he's anticipating a scolding or some sort of sit-down conversation. Anticipation maybe of squandering his you know, why'd you steal my money? Or why'd you take my money? Why'd you squander all the wealth that I gave you? And his father in Luke 15 verse 20 says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he what? Ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. And a surprising move, the dad calls the servants over and tells them to put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Let's have a party. Let's have a feast for this son My boy is home. Once was lost and now is found. And the older brother gets, an older brother in this story gets very angry over his father doing this for his younger brother and questioned why he ever got a party in the first place. After all those years, I've obeyed you. Of all those years, I have obeyed you. Now, I don't get a party thrown for me, but he did question his brother's deservedness over that feast. And let's just admit that the older brother's attitude and argument does strike a chord sometimes within us. He remained diligent. The older brother remained diligent, serving the needs of the household, living obediently as an older son should and could. And he won the approval of his peers, appeared to be a saint in comparison to his brother. And we often point out sometimes in life, and this, was, this conversation Jesus has was directed toward Pharisees, and Jesus is trying to sort of underpin their attitude toward this. 
And the Pharisees were religious of religious, and they took that to a T, and they wanted to follow the law to a T. And Jesus is telling them that the love that I have, and the love that I have for people is, is far greater than just following this, following some, this, this directive of rules to a T. And sometimes we point out, church, in this, this world, sometimes we just point out that everything is everyone else's fault. And yet I think what Jesus is saying, that it's, it is a, all of us, all of us are sinful. And the Pharisees looked down on people who did not, who did not follow the law to a T and be on their level. And they failed to see, the Pharisees failed to see that they were also the problem. The older brother kept tallies and records on his brother's behavior. And Joseph's brothers did nothing to deserve such a feast. Years away of his family in a foreign land and a foreign country. Years away, 20 years of buildup in a place you didn't choose to be in a tall order. Yet, within a brief span of time, the brothers found themselves being treated kindly, sitting around a table and their bellies full. Recipients of a favor they hadn't earned and kindness that they did not deserve. And they were overloaded with an abundance of provision that they couldn't repay. And the story reminds me of the relentless love of God has for us, a grace and forgiveness that we do not deserve. I mean, let's just place boots on the ground. Can we be honest for a second? Let's place boots on the ground for a second here. And you've got family, you've got siblings, maybe they've wronged you, maybe they've hurt you. And no questions asked, you put on a feast for them after 20 years of rust and buildup. <laughs> it's the kind of picture that God has for us. None of us deserve the kind of love that God has for us. God has poured out his love toward those who don't deserve it, including you and me. Could it be that the way to demonstrate love in our families is to respond like Joseph did? Instead of fearing the worst of God, we come to him to experience the incredible generosity and mercy of God. And instead of being blamed, we're forgiven. Instead of feeling guilty, we are freed. Instead of experiencing punishment, which we deserve, we are seated at his table and served more than we could ever take in. And that younger brother, there's no recorded conversation about paying back the debt that he squandered off. And all Joseph's brothers, all those years that he could have had back, Nothing said about paying back that time lost. It's kind of the undeserving, radical kind of love that God has for us. As one author has said this, and I've said this before, he came to pay a debt we, he did not owe because we owed a debt we cannot pay. This is what the love of God is like. It is unlimited. And maybe we, church, sometimes maybe we place limits on those we think who is deserving of love. Maybe we place limits on people who are deserving of love. And from my point of view of the brothers, they're still not sure who the one is pouring out their kindness. Might I suggest today, if you're on the fence about following Jesus, or if you've never really fully trusted Jesus, if you're on the fence of that, that God is the one pouring out his kindness to you. It is God. It's, it is this grace of God that, over, uh, under, uh, that is, supersedes all of the grace and kindness to you, even if you and I don't deserve it. It is God's grace. And the source behind all the kindness and goodness of your life is the one true living God. The source behind it all. God is pouring out his grace and kindness to you to show you that you might understand that there is a God who loves you and who gave his only son for you. The message of God is always life. 
what might it look like to show unmerited grace toward the hard-to-handle and messy people in our families? The folks that we need to tie loose ends with. In a messed up and mixed up world, what might it look like to serve a banquet to those whom we believe don't deserve grace? And if the prodigal son is any any indication of what God's love is like, then we must extend an undeserved grace toward folks who don't deserve it. We feel like they don't deserve it. Why? Because neither do we. Perhaps maybe we should stop putting limits on people, on those we feel as though they deserve love. And this is the story that gives me great thankfulness that God does not treat us according to our sins and what we deserve, but He covers it at the cross. And He covers it at the cross of Jesus, and forever we are freed. And if you place your faith in Jesus, if you place your trust, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Come to Jesus today to receive that grace and receive His salvation because that is what the love of God is like. Let's pray together. If you'll bow your heads with me.